we've been working through uh, the book of, of 2 Timothy, uh, and, and Paul ended up in, towards the end of the last passage, talking about how the Lord's servant must be kind to everyone, so that they may come to their senses and, and escape the snare of the devil. Uh, and, and this is something that we testify to, not just with our words, but with our lives. And so with our dealings with others, um, what, what Paul said here is that we hope to call the people around us to place their hope and their trust in Christ. Um, however, despite that hope, despite, um, despite what we're called to, there is a reality to the brokenness of this world, right? There is a reality to the brokenness of this world. And so Paul spends the, these next few verses here preparing Timothy for the reality of, of dealing with that. So this is 2 Timothy 3, uh, starting in verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Hear that, kids? Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at, the, at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all. As was, those of, as was that of those two men. So Paul begins here saying, we are in the last days. And just as Timothy was in the last days, we are in the last days. And we will remain in the last days until Christ comes back, until he returns. And Paul promises here that these last days will be times of difficulty. So despite as we looked at last week, despite, using, despite having God uh, use our witness, there will be times and there will be seasons that, that the church and individual believers will encounter difficulty. Now, when we encounter difficulty, that is not always a sign of God's disfavor, but rather it is a present and ongoing reality that we experience because we live in a sinful and broken world. Now, there is a temptation for us to think that if we do good things, if we are good people, then good things will happen to us. And if we do bad things, and if we are bad people, then bad things will happen to us. But, that's, but what Paul's saying here is that's not necessarily how it works. So if this difficulty, then, is, is not punishment, why is it going to be so hard? Why can't life just be easy? Well, he answers that question in the next verse, right? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. And, and he goes through this great big long laundry list that, uh, that I think that we can all look at and see and say, this is, this is not good. <laughs> this is not good for people to, to be like this. But this is the default condition of the human heart. And that is why we're told that we're going to have days of difficulty, because that is the default state of our heart. 
And it's got this, this core issue of this misplaced or misdirected love. And we see that in how he starts and finishes, right? He says, for people will be lovers of self. And then as he, as he wraps this up, uh, uh, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So lovers of self rather than love of God. And this, this looks back, if we look back to Genesis 3, at, at the garden and at that original sin, that was kind of at the core here, right? Because Satan said to, to Eve, um, your eyes will be opened when you eat of it and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. So Satan insinuates to Eve that, that, that God really isn't all that great and God really isn't all that truthful and God really isn't all that worthy of your love. But if you, but if you will just eat of that fruit, then you will be worthy of love and you will be worthy of affection and you will be worthy of honor. And this was why in, in Romans 1, Paul said that... Um, Paul said that they had exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. So mankind has failed to worship our creator and instead we have sought to worship ourselves as the ultimate source of good, as the ultimate good, the ultimate purpose in the universe. And that, that inclination plays itself out in all of these ways. Um, so each one of these things, when, when you look at them, when you dig down into them, what you find is that it has at its core a love of self rather than a love of God. And so this idea of keeping God first, of God's importance, has been a part of our faith from the very beginning, right? That's the very first commandment, to love, um, that you shall have no other gods before me, or, um, or the Shema, the core teaching of the Jewish faith in Deuteronomy 6, uh, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So all of these behaviors and all of these attitudes that Paul has listed here stem from this, this misdirected love, a love of self rather than a love of God, a love of creation rather than a love of creator. A love that puts me at the center of the universe. But just because they love themselves doesn't mean that they won't look good in some respects. Right? That's what we see in verse 5. They have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. So like the, uh, like the line from Beauty and the Beast, right? She warned the prince not to be deceived by appearances. Um, so there's this outward shell of godliness. They can look good. And, uh, and, and Jesus had, had described the Pharisees in, the, in this exact same way. In Matthew 23, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, and then the outside may also be clean." He carries on. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So they look good on the inside, 
or on the outside, but on the inside, they are still filthy with sin. So Jesus tells us here to clean first the inside of the cup, clean our hearts, and then the outside, our actions will become clean. But if we clean up our external behavior without first cleaning up our hearts, then we become like those whitewashed tombs, right? They, they look good, they look pretty, they're shiny on the outside, everything's good. But on the inside, they're full of death and decay. Now, can I get a volunteer, a young person perhaps? Rachel, can you come here? Okay. Rachel, can you tell me what this is? That's an apple. It's an apple. Now, does this apple look very good? No. Why does this apple not look very good? Because it has yucky grass on it. It has grass clippings on it. Now, if you were going to eat this apple, what would you need to do first? Wash it? You'd need to wash it. You'd need to wash it clean, right? Now, I have another apple. Now, look at this apple. Does this apple look better? Yes. Do you think that you would need to do anything to this before you ate it? Mm -hmm. You would still need to wash it. Well, yeah, you you should still (laughs) wash it. Okay, anyway, well understood. But if we look inside of this apple... Ew. (laughs) (laughs) Does that look very good inside of the apple? No. No. So you wouldn't want to eat this apple even after you washed it, right? No, because it's full of yucky stuff on the inside. But what about that apple over there? Do you think that if you wash this up, that it'd be okay to eat? Yes. Yeah. So, there was a transition there. Thank you, Rachel. (laughs) That's all right. Thank you for your participation. Thank you, everybody else, for coming up and see. Do you want to see the apple? You want to see the yucky inside of the apple? Okay. okay. Can you go sit down? <laughs> Gotta find less messy object lessons. <clears throat> so, an apple that is dirty. <laughs> so, an apple that is dirty on the outside can be washed and can be eaten and be made useful again. But this apple here, that's filled with rot and nasty decay, there's no way that this apple can be washed and made useful again, because it is rotten at its core. It's a simulated rot, but you understand. (laughs) So, right actions, a clean outside of the apple, that are not motivated by a right heart, or a whole and, and, and good inside of the apple are meaningless because they give the appearance of godliness but deny its power. And so the people that are described here, they might look like godly people. They might say the right words. They might go to church every time that it's open. They don't drink, smoke, or chew, or don't go out with girls who do, right? But their hearts are motivated by selfish desires. 
Their hearts are motivated by that love of self or love of money, love of pleasure, love of importance. And so all the right behavior in the world, all the right external actions cannot save them if their hearts are focused on loving themselves rather than loving God. But rather, it is only by the power of the gospel that lives can truly be transformed. That's what Paul wrote in, in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Then in 1 Corinthians 1, for the word of the cross is folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So the big problem that faces humanity then is that our hearts are looking for love in all the wrong places. So when we look for love where we shouldn't, we are worshiping. We are finding fulfillment in created things rather than in our creator. And the worship of those created things, that wrongly placed love, is sin. And sin, as always, has a cost. Through our sin, we earn death. But Christ's redemption on the cross, he paid the price for that sin. And when we follow him, when we love him, when we trust him, when we serve him, he promises that when he destroys death forever, that we will live with him in a new creation that is free from that pain of sin. But these people that Paul is talking about here deny the power of the gospel because that same gospel requires them to love, worship, and serve God rather than love, worship, and serve themselves. Instead, they seek to imitate the power of the gospel by acting correctly, by acting right. If I act like a Christian, then, then people will think that I'm a Christian. And unfortunately, several decades of, of cultural Christianity has, has yielded people who are just like this. Right? They say all of the right things. They do all of the right things. But their hearts are absolutely blackened by sin, by pride, by arrogance, by that love of self. What does Paul tell Timothy here to do? He says, avoid such people. Don't be yoked to them. Don't walk alongside them. Treat them as unbelievers, to, to use some different language. Constantly be calling them to true repentance and faith. And there's a number of reasons uh, that, that we should avoid that sort of close association with them, but, but Paul gives one of them here uh, in, in verse 6. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So apparently there was an issue uh, with, with, these, with some of these people these whitewashed tombs, these rotten apples, um, drawing a specific group of women into their sphere of influence. And their love of sin and their passion for created things rather than the creator had led them to gladly accept a teacher who was just like them. And so because they were being taught incorrectly by these false teachers, they were unable to ever arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Teaching from 
the playbook of the kingdom of self rather than the kingdom of God means that you are only ever going to make disciples of that kingdom of self. So just because somebody looks like they are doing all the right things doesn't mean that they have earned the right to speak into our lives as teachers. But rather, we need to be observing the full pattern of their lives. Do they just have the appearance of godliness? Or are they actually bearing the fruit of the power of the gospel? Now, this is hard to do when, uh, when we are disconnected, when we live lives that are entirely separated from one another. But I think that this is one of the reasons that, that, we, um, that we are called to live our lives in, in close relational proximity with one another so that we can see that and we can know the difference. Uh, now, this, this allusion here to, uh, to Jonas and Jambres, uh, so these were the um, names that the Jewish people traditionally held for the two um, magicians of Pharaoh's who opposed Moses. Right? When, when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, there were, there were court magicians who opposed him and, and duplicated some of those miracles that, that Moses did. Um, but eventually, eventually the illusion came apart. Right? They weren't able to continuously dictate. Their own power fell short um, because they lacked the power to be able to work in the same way that God worked. And so likewise, Paul, Paul says, these false teachers also lack the power necessary to effect true change because they have uh, denied the power of the gospel. And this is why, he says in, in verse 9, they will not get very far because their message lacks true power. It, it contains only an imitation of the power of God. So just as these two men were exposed for being powerless in the face of the Almighty, so also these false teachers that Paul is talking about here will be exposed as frauds and charlatans. Because ultimately, Satan is not a creator. Right? He doesn't make anything new, but he imitates and he corrupts what God has already made. He makes counterfeits. And while those counterfeits may deceive some for a while, while they may hold sway, eventually their true nature, the true nature of this counterfeit faith will be revealed. And ultimately, this, this final bookend should be encouraging to us. They will not get very far. So we are in the last days, and we will experience times of difficulty, but they will not get very far. Now, we see these patterns that are laid out here in the world around us. And it's easy for us to, to become discouraged uh, or, or to bemoan the decay of society. But the reality is that the, the reason that the society around us is like this is because people are like this. The human heart is like this. This list is a reflection of the default orientation of the human heart to self-centered wickedness and idolatry. So all of the evil, all of the wrong that we see committed in this world is based on that wrongly placed love. And the core motivation, the core motivation that would cause a man to kneel on another man's neck until he dies is the same core motivation that would cause somebody to burn down a housing complex. The core motivation to hate and discriminate, the core motivation to pillage and burn, to dismiss the pain and suffering of others is being deserved, 
or the motivation to judge a person by their outward appearance rather than by the orientation of their heart. The motivation to cheat on your spouse, the motivation to soothe your feelings with a substance, all of the worst of humanity, all of the worst of humanity, along with all of the ways that we try to disguise our sin and give the appearance of godliness, these things all stem from that wrongly placed love, from loving the wrong thing, from loving ourselves and worshiping ourselves rather than loving and worshiping God. They all stem from a heart that says, I love myself best of all. And so when we as Christians, when we as believers see these things lived out, we are seeing confirmation that God's word is true. And that we, mankind, is a people desperately in need of a Savior to teach us, to show us, to enable us to love God rightly as he should be loved. But we need to be attentive, church. We need to expect We do expect to see this sort of behavior from the world. But Paul is telling us here that that it exists within the church as well. There are those who would claim the name of Christ, who would claim to be Christians. And they look good on the outside, right? They have that appearance of godliness, but are completely devoid of any sort of real transformative power. Because the power of God, the power of the gospel is not being manifested in their lives. They are a rotten tree that bears rotten fruit. And the imperative, the direction, the command here is clear. Avoid such people. Now, we do need to be careful, um, because what differentiates true Christians, in this sense, from from a non-Christian, from an unbeliever, is not the presence or the absence of sin. Because we all have sin in some shape in our lives. And we will until Christ returns. We will all feel that pull. We will all feel that influence in some way. So it's not the presence of sin. It's not the absence of sin or the type or how long ago it was. But what differentiates the two, what separates the two, is how we respond to it. Because the people that Paul is describing here, lovers of self, lovers of money, um, they love their sin. Some of them are are proud of it, right? And they display it for all to see, daring somebody to tell them that they are wrong. But then other people hide it, right? They they cover it up thinking, well, I'm I'm not really hurting anybody, so I can enjoy this, this guilty little pleasure. But a Christian, however, a Christian hates their sin. They long to be free of it. They long to be cleaned from it. They see their sin as offensive to the God that they love. And so they will go to any lengths necessary to be done with it. Last, uh, that's what we talked about last week, right? They long to be an honorable vessel, washed clean and made useful to their master. They don't care about the appearance. They want God. They want the power of the Holy Spirit. They want the forgiveness that can only come through Christ. They don't want to be those whitewashed tombs. I don't want the best part of me to be the outside and to have the inside be filled with rot and filth and death. So as Christians, we want God to give us new hearts, 
to give us new birth, to regenerate us, to make us new, to raise us from being dead in our sins to being alive in Christ, to make us into new men and women from the inside out. And so if that transformation is something that you need, if you have discovered that you are loving the wrong thing, if you have discovered that you are loving yourself more than you are loving God, then regardless of where you are, regardless of how good you might look on the outside, or even how bad you might look on the outside, there is an opportunity today. Today is the day of your salvation to repent and to place your faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, this is, what we, this is what we long for. This is what we want. God, we want to be washed clean of our sin. Father, we want, to, we want you to rip our, our self-worshipping heart out of us, God, and give us a new heart. Give us a heart that loves you and follows you. Father, we, we are tired of our sin God, we are sick of it. We are disgusted by it. Father, cleanse us from that sin. Give us the courage that we need to be able to confess it and to confront it and to always be killing that sin, Father. And we ask for, for you to do that work in us, God. We ask for your strength. We ask for your grace towards us so that, Father, we might be useful vessels, so that we might be approved workers. God, so that we might be hardworking farmers in your kingdom. God, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of self, the, uh, all of the draw, all of the allure, God, we're done. We're done with it. And we ask that you would give us hearts that long for you and long for your kingdom. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As we close this morning, I'd ask you to stand with me, and we're going to sing the doxology as we close. Can you stand with me? Praise God.